0: This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. For me, McDonald's is a place I go to get a pick-me-up when I'm feeling down, and the people that make that possible are McDonald's great crew members. Whether they're remembering your usual order or providing fast and friendly service, a huge thanks to McDonald's crew members for making everyone's McDonald's visit special. McDonald's. I'm loving it.
1: What do you watch, Ethan?
0: Ah, what do we watch? Like documentaries? Ted Lasso, sometimes. Oh, love Ted, Ted Lasso. Lasso. Oh, you like it? Yeah, yes, man. of course. So likable, right? Yeah. I don't
1: watch Ted Lasso. I love no. it.
0: Yeah. yeah, such a good
1: guy. Yeah. So much content now. It's like there's billions of shows. Everyone's trying to keep up. It's, it's kind of much. suffocating, honestly. Yeah, yes, too much. It's, it's like whatever. we're all entertaining each other while the world burns, right?
0: We're all just zombies, you know? Like, oh. mm. I love a binge. Hello everyone and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. Hello,
1: I'm Roxana Haddadi.
0: Today on Decoding TV, we will be discussing season two, episode one of The White Lotus, entitled Ciao. And what we do here on this podcast is we will spoil everything through season two, episode one of The White Lotus, but we will not spoil anything from future week's episodes that includes any episodes that either of us may have or may not have watched, as well as anything on the next time on preview for The White Lotus. So uh, that is how we do things here on The Decoding TV. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. You can also follow us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Decoding TV. All right, Roxana. Before we get to this week's episode, uh, I mean, I think it's it's important to just say, hey, it's a new season of The White Lotus, a show that we never thought would come back, and uh, here we are talking about it. So, like, let's start with overall thoughts on this episode before we do uh, a plot by plot point by plot point. What did you think overall of season two, episode one?
1: That's such a good question. What did I think? I mean, the immediate thing I thought about was the fact that this is now an anthology, right? I mean, we're going the true detective route. We're sort of going the big little lies route of an initial season, now turned into a second season. So I kept thinking about that. I kept sort of noticing the connections thematically, unintentionally, explicitly between this episode and the first season. But overall, I am intrigued. There's some characters that I think are Very promising and potentially very messy. And I also am sort of curious about whether we are going to get the same sort of class specific conversations about season one, or if we're only doing like a men and women and how they communicate with sex and romance thing. And I think the opening credits sort of tilt us one specific way so i'm a little curious if that continues what about you what were your thoughts
0: yeah overall i liked it and you know we'll probably talk more about this later on during this episode but something we didn't address in our season one look back was uh, the idea that there is an inherent or maybe we addressed it but didn't like dive into it is like there's an inherent tension of a show that is critiquing Wealth, uh, Mm -hmm. and or the wealth of these, uh, very beautiful people in a in a beautiful location, um, but that the fact that they are beautiful wealthy people, uh, in a beautiful location is the reason we're watching the show, or many people are watching the show, right? Like, if if it was not about well, beautiful wealthy people, like probably we wouldn't be we you and me probably wouldn't be as interested. A lot of the audience wouldn't be as interested in it. So, um, so there is a little bit of attention there. It does, to me, seem as though this season does have its sights set on a different topic that's Mm -hmm. beyond just wealth, but also, as you point out, sexual politics. Um, And so I'm kind of interested in what the White Lotus lens is going to be on that. It's it's like layering another thing to critique on top of the wealth, perhaps, right?
1: Well, and I think Um, it's fair to say that season one did also have this, right? I mean, like the Shane and Rachel marriage is very much about them both being – young and beautiful and Shane sort of thinking that Rachel's beauty as his new wife is like social collateral. Right. And then we do have the, like the Connie Britton, Steve Zahn marriage, which was also about like his emasculation now that she's successful. So I think this stuff was like the secondary level of critique in the first season. Mm -hmm. And now we've sort of swapped it and it's the first consideration. So I think it was there We're just now getting a more clear view of it.
0: That's a great point, yeah. But fundamentally, regarding this episode, feels like a promising start. You know, feels Mm -hmm. like we're being introduced to intriguing characters that are all going to have some kind of arc this season. And I am curious where it's all going. But this is very much an introductory episode where we get a sense of who these characters are and not that much happens. Um, so I liked it I'm intrigued obviously we're going to keep watching it Uh, but it wasn't like I felt this was a great standalone work in and of itself
1: right it's Um, very table setting it's very episode one it's like here's everyone here are a couple lines of dialogue about what their whole deal is and uh, you're just supposed to accumulate that info and Mm -hmm. hold on to it for next week
0: yeah Uh, and there's a handful of like really great scenes you know like there's Mm -hmm. a few like spectacular scenes in there that uh i think we we will discuss so it's not as though there's nothing uh particularly interesting about the episode like right. there, there are still some some great things but yes you're right table setting is a great way of describing it so let's get into the episode and i think the way we will try to talk about it is by discussing each of the plot lines individually okay yeah uh and Rather than go scene by scene, we're going to talk about, like, the different groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's there's a pack of four people. Let's start with that. That's, like, relatively standard. You, you, probably the people that are most relatable for you and me, if if I had to guess, you know? Are they? Uh, you know, some of them, maybe. <laughs> Elements of them. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, okay. I don't know. I'm just saying know. in terms of, like, age-wise and, sure. you know, place yeah. in life, uh, you know? Yes. I'm not saying in terms of personality. Okay, Roxana. No. Um, <laughs> So I was there's waiting
1: for the caveat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Roxanne Rox- 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 and I were very good friends and colleagues before this uh, podcast began, and by the end, she will be so turned off by my spurious uh, comparisons no. that we'll never talk again. Um, <laughs> no. But uh, Harper played by Aubrey Plaza, and Ethan yeah. played by Will Sharp. Uh, they are, uh, I think, husband and wife or boyfriend yeah. girlfriend, right? Husband married and wife. Married couple, I think. Married I think couple, they say yeah.
1: they've been married five years. Yeah. There's some sort of time element that's given.
0: Then there's Daphne, played by Megan Fahey, and Cameron, played by Theo James. And so they, these four are going on vacation together. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I, I should point out, you know, before we really even get into the storyline, we gotta talk about some of the stuff that happens before we even meet this foursome, which is that the show has a new theme song. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and the original theme song was an iconic piece of work, really well done. This is like a remix of the the White Lotus season one theme song, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, there's some a, a lot of shows use the same theme song from season to season. Sure. And uh, some shows do an, a completely different theme song from season to season, like The Leftovers, say. Mm-hmm. And this is a. uh like a remix, a, a kind of different version of it. What did you think of the new theme song, Roxana?
1: I I liked it. I mean, it's sort of it starts sort of operatic, and then it becomes a little bit techno-y and frenzied. And I think if we are going to read clues into everything, then I took this as like, a, things are going to start sort of slow, and like you're going to sort of think that you're just seeing Italy. It's pastoral. It's beautiful. Look at the marble statues. Look at the cherubs. And then all of a sudden, people are just going to be having sex and like they're everywhere.
0: <laughs> so, as you I, do, I liked it, do. but yeah.
1: yeah, it's it initially sets a very different tone from last season.
0: I was not a fan initially of it. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it will grow on me, but mm-hmm. they took the theme song, which is I think in a minor key and they made it major, which is just really yeah. weird and disorienting. There were also lots of like. Really rapid cuts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know there were some cuts in the original theme song as well when you're, you know, uh, looking at the, the paintings in the original, uh, White Lotus right. theme song, like but the like, wallpaper. Yeah. But it felt, it felt more frenzied and mm-hmm. uh, frenetic this time around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in your description of the theme song in the show notes uh, or the opening credits, you write about like how there's Italian paintings of bucolic rural scenes, cherubs and marble statues that become interrupted by images of people having sex. Yeah, um, so. and
1: uh, like a woman and a swan having sex. So yeah. we're getting really wild with it from the mm-hmm. beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. Uh, okay, so then we also have an opening teaser scene, right, mm-hmm. where uh, it is Megan Fahey's character, Daphne, on the beach, some very funny dialogue in the scene, right, mm-hmm. Uh Where she meets other people that have just showed up at the White Lotus. She's about to leave. Right. And she talks about how Italy is so romantic. And she says, you're going to die. They're going to need to drag you out of here, end quote. Which I was just like, Mm -hmm. are you doing what I think you're doing, White Lotus? And then it turns out they're doing what I thought they were doing, which is they introduced a dead person right off the bat. Um, Just just – Bumps, bumps right into her. She's Yeah, bumps right into her she's going, he going into the bumps swim. Bumps right and into Daphne. Not only that, but we later learn that there is apparently like a, a group of dead people. Is that right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And I don't know how much more detail we get here. I don't know if we learn that it was a riptide or if they were swimming and something happened. There's just sort of a – there are a few, quote, bodies in the water – that are then removed and walked through the beach area that corresponds to the White Lotus. So it becomes like a pretty big scene, like an actual scene in a scene. Uh, and it's an interesting way to start us off. And by interesting, I mean familiar, because mm-hmm. I guess we're doing deaths again.
0: We're doing deaths again, but one death is not sufficient, no. Uh You've got to have, have more engine. multiple deaths. Mm-hmm. And, and we do understand that they are all like hotel guests of the White mm-hmm. Lotus, right? So they're not just random people that, that have died.
1: Right. Uh, Nobody cares about the random people. Sorry. No, no
0: one cares about, yeah, the, 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 the plebes, you know? Um, right. We need to know who the rich, wealthy people and attractive people are dying are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a great scene where uh, Valentina, uh, who is basically the manager of the White Lotus in Sicily, is trying to be like, it's still good, it's still good, like, Oh, it's just one person that died, like, and maybe it was an accident. We can't control if someone dies on the ocean, right. Um, right? But it turns out there's a group of them, and
1: yeah, poor Valentina already off to a bad start in this narrative.
0: Yeah, and it's not going to get better for her, really. Now, uh, but before we move on from this point, Roxana, I do think it's notable that they're using deaths again, or death again, to kind of propel it, the. You know, the first season started very similarly. There's a death or someone died, and then we flash back, and presumably we're gonna find out how that death happened um not not sure how I feel about it, if only because don't you think it would be weird if like the four seasons kept having mysterious deaths everywhere, you know and like in real life
1: i I truly wrote this to a colleague today. I was like, wouldn't this be a humongous story? <laughs> If this (laughs) boutique hotel chain Mm -hmm, has people continuing to die in every location. I mean, it sort of sounds like a good horror movie setup. Like I potentially would watch this as a concept. But at the same time, when I was thinking about season one before our chat, I don't really know how much the death mattered to me as I was watching the season. I think I sort of forgot that there was Mm -hmm. a death. Like as we talked about, there were a lot of clues There are people who are waiting for medical results, and there are some near brushes with fatality. But I I don't know. The murder mystery didn't seem paramount to me at the time. So I wonder, again, how that will be handled here. If we'll get, like, some hints throughout, if people are sort of ill and anything could happen, or if it's just a grabby way to get us in.
0: Well, I think they did a good job of – I I might have said this on the last episode we did, but Mm -hmm. not being annoying about it, you know, not – Not like reminding you, Hey, who's, who's the dead person? You know, like they didn't Mm -hmm. do that all season. The thing is, it's going to be a little bit harder for me to not remember it, given that it's multiple people. So like,
1: that's true.
0: Now I'm not just wondering who died. I'm wondering like how many people died and are they from multiple different parties of, you know, the people that we meet in this episode? So there's
1: no one who's really alone. There's not a solo narrative. Everyone is in groups of twos or threes of fours.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah,
1: you're right. It raises the question of are we going to, like, trade people back and forth? Does everyone have a sacrifice? How does this work?
0: Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, on the one hand, I like it because I'm like, oh, I want to – it does give me something to keep watching it for. Mm-hmm. But on the, other hand, on the other hand, it is, like, the same exact plot mechanic. Yeah. And – And Except with more people. So, uh, Mike White is a very smart person, you know, the showrunner. And I trust that he knows what he's doing and is going to make it interesting somehow. But also, I'm kind of like, Mike White, I'm not sure. Like, this uh, could be repetitive. We'll see. So Yeah. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? So, okay. Uh, So, we learn about the deaths. We flash back to one week earlier, just Mm -hmm. like we were in White Lotus Season 1. And then we meet... Mm -hmm. Uh, all these people that are in, uh, the show. Yeah. So let's start with, as I was saying earlier, Harper and Ethan. That's Aubrey Plaza and Will Sharp's character, who are there mm-hmm. with Daphne and Cameron, Megan Fahey and, uh, Theo James' character. Uh, by the way, one people we, one, uh, person we know doesn't die is, uh, Daphne, played by Megan Fahey. So that's the, yes. because she's the one that's that discovers true. the bodies. So, yes. uh, that's, that's one person checked off the list right there. Now, she, But hmm, All I was going to say is that as soon as you said that,
1: I thought for the entirety of the episode, she's surrounded by other people. And then it's a little bit interesting that we start off with her on this beach alone. I'm not saying it's a clue. It's just Mm -hmm. an interesting thing to note.
0: Yes. Yes. Perhaps it is her colleague's slash husband or whatever that is is the dead person. Perhaps. I was a little bit confused at Some of the plotting here, like okay, when when Aubrey said Aubrey Plaza's character Harper, like identifies what the relationship is. I think it's uh, Cameron and Daphne that are like the successful ones, right? That are the startup rich people ones, Um, or is it Ethan and Harper? Like it was a little bit confusing to me.
1: I think everyone is wealthy. Yes, I think that. Cam and Daphne were already wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones who invited Harper and Ethan on this vacation. I think, I'm not sure it's startup money, I think it's finance money, but they already live a successful, you know, well to do life. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then it is Ethan who recently sold a business idea or something and is newly rich. So he and Harper. I think again. I don't remember if it's a startup, but it's some new amount of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's wealthy; it's just a matter yeah. of who got wealthy when.
0: Right. Um, it, it was. She only says it like one time, real quick, and then it wasn't clear like which wealth the, the like which direction the wealth flowed in. But whatever the case is, these are not like the best of friends. I think is right. the main point. Right. Like um, there was a suspiciousness. Uh with which Cameron and Daphne invited Ethan and Harper on this trip. Uh and Harper is very suspicious of, of their intentions and like why they're doing it.
1: So. Yeah. Harper sees it as we have money now and suddenly you remembered who we are and have deigned to invite us on this mm. trip. So yeah. it's through these series of various conversations. Like I don't really think they think I don't think they talk on the ferry. I think the establishing fairy shot is just that Harper and Ethan are sort of argumentative and like bickering and Cam and Daphne have this very, like, we're both attractive. We're both young. We're both beautiful. We can't keep our hands off each other sort of thing going. And then I think it's over some mealtime conversations that it comes out uh, and some private in suite conversations that Harper is convinced that there's an ulterior financial motive that mm. Cam has right because he's going to pitch he's going to pitch
0: Ethan some idea or something like that during yeah. the course of the trip right yeah um okay so there's a bunch of awkward scenes with Harper really not seeming to enjoy herself she refuses the complimentary prosecco that is offered she's um, so
1: bad at having a good time I mean it's mm-hmm. peak Aubrey Plaza right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza has become sort of our Awkward queen at just making other people uncomfortable on her behalf. Yeah. So, yeah who who rejects the complimentary Prosecco?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink and I would accept it, you know? Yeah. Uh, just uh, take a
1: swig. It's really already. They're just going to throw it away.
0: I, I want to take a pause here and just recognize that I do appreciate the casting of the show. This mm-hmm. is a show where you have, you know, over like or around a dozen characters that you're introducing to people in this episode Uh, and all of them have a pretty distinct look and -hmm. that is very important for a show like this. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's um, I think it's an under recognized point is that when you have a vast cast like this, you need everyone to be like recognizable and like distinguishable from each other. And I think this, this episode does a good job or the show does a good job of that. Um, There is a scene where uh, Harper and Ethan and Cam and Daphne's suites are introduced to them and uh, they show off this door that, is between them and she's like okay we're not gonna use that
1: yeah why are there's no need to show me what we're not gonna, gonna
0: use that you know yeah. we're not gonna
1: use that and yeah. everyone is aghast again it's one of those things where it's like why would you voice that you can never use the door but you don't have to tell the people you're never gonna mm-hmm. use
0: the door <laughs> yeah kind of awkward oh, kind of awkward Harper. Um, there is a, a statue that's in all these rooms that is identified uh, Roxana, do you recall like what was going on with the statue what's the significance of it
1: yeah. So on this tour, there are all these statues and they basically are described to the group as the Moor's head. And one of the resort employees explains that this is sort of like Sicilian folklore. I mean, it's based in history, allegedly, um, but it is of a Moorish man who came to Sicily and seduced a young woman and they're having an affair she learns that he is married. And so basically their relationship has forced her to become the other woman with all of the negative connotations that holds. Uh, So she uh, cuts his head off (laughs) and like uses it as a planter, uh, sort of as like a warning to, you know, be monogamous and not do infidelity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's become – like a mainstay of ceramic art in sicily and i googled it that definitely seems real it doesn't you know i don't know if a resort would really have many of them in each room (laughs) but it definitely (laughs) seems like an actual thing now we don't really dive into like the racial politics of this Mm -hmm. like a moorish man or the fact that they're all sort of glazed in a particular way i mean the show doesn't really touch that but i think mm-hmm. it's using it as an icon of again male female like sexual politics gender roles that sort yeah. of thing and i think daphne makes a joke out of it right she's like take a you know take a right. cue from this i would yeah. kill you and like bury you so it's,
0: it's yeah a it's
1: dark joke coming from daphne
0: well, it's it's funny, I think, because it's it's a nod to the fact that someone has died one week later, sure. and and I think it's like, ooh, you're, it's supposed to make you as a viewer think, ooh, is it is it him that gets killed? You know, like right. I, I think well, I don't I think, think it's him that gets killed. That's it's too obvious I mean, in my opinion, but
1: it's a little bit too obvious. But Daphne yeah. does later on talk about watching a bunch of Dateline.
0: Mm, on which yeah, spouses
1: yeah. kill each other all but the time but
0: again that's what i'm saying is like her saying that her saying you're gonna die here they're gonna need to drag you out at the beginning her saying this line you know like it's all makes you it's to make you think it's daphne but i don't think it's gonna be daphne you know what i'm saying I, that know, does the kill I think that you're
1: so. hmm, you're saying it's a misdirect i'm gonna say it's not a misdirect
0: oh wow <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> first first podcast disagreement here on decoding tv yeah. between roxanne and david okay we'll see yeah We'll see. Yeah. I've gotten tons of things wrong on this podcast uh, well, so far. and so. I don't
1: think there's much more evidence. I mean, if if this is really the reality, then they're, like, laying it on a little bit thick mm-hmm. early in the beginning. Uh, <laughs> but I yeah. also – I sort of – you know, I always like the idea of this prim and proper woman being the one who sort of loses mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So that's the Moore's head. They're everywhere. We cut to them often. Yeah. As transitional moments between scenes. So Mike Wayne <laughs> is really incorporating them.
0: It's kind of a nice ominous sign of things to come, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh but yeah, there is a, a scene between Harper and Ethan where he says to her, Hey, can you try to have fun, please? You know, I kind of like these people and long for their approval on some level, and please don't make things awkward, etc. 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 So um later on there's a scene where they all get to uh Meet each other, right? And talk about, we get to learn more about them and their backgrounds. We learn that Harper does employment law, uh, and Cam chimes in helpfully by saying, you know, I hate those bogus claims and it's extremely <laughs> awkward. You know, I, I don't know if you've been to these dinners before or these meals before mm-hmm. where like someone says, it's my, you know, I spend all my life fighting this kind of person. And then, like, another person at a dinner is that kind of person. It's just yeah. very, very painful.
1: And very um, proudly that person. I mean, that's sort of the funny <laughs> thing about Cam is that yeah. he very much seems like the type of person who will purposefully provoke you just because it's funny to him. Yeah. Uh, which comes up again in a later scene. I think I am enjoying Theo James's performance, although I don't entirely buy his American accent. Mm. But his very aggressive – cool guy bro sort of aesthetic i think works
0: yeah. uh they talk about what they enjoy doing and it's like it seems like cam and daphne don't uh watch the news they don't really vote they don't really have any concern with issues and it's like um it's a really n- nice illustration of privilege i think you know like the idea that something that we are seeing more and more now, which is a lot of people saying, Hey, I don't do politics. You know, there is this, this, uh, uh, I see this trend online of people saying like, I I don't, uh, you know, I don't like to talk about politics and I don't like to talk about politics. In my opinion, David Chen's opinion is just code for, um, I am not impacted by the systems, uh, that politics would impact. Right. Uh, or that your politics might, you know, impact. And, uh, and it's basically this expression of privilege from Cam and Daphne that like they don't need to think about it because none of the stuff in the world really affects them. Um, these beautiful white people, um, you yeah. know, these c- cis, uh, hetero white people, basically. Yes. So.
1: Yeah, and like I, you know, I feel like in our current political reality, I think there are levels of detachment from that. Like, I also think you find people who feel so disenfranchised that it's also a matter of. I'm not going to vote. Like, what has that actually done? Um, and that's not the privilege we're dealing with here, right? Like, it's so interesting to me that you phrased it as what they enjoy doing because Harper and Ethan list things that they don't actually enjoy doing, but they feel like they should be doing, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like, they don't enjoy the news. Harper needs Ambient to sleep. She talks about the anxieties of the world and how bleak and terrible things are, which are all things I agree with and empathize with. But I hate to say that. I hate to go down this road. But part of the conversation sort of feels like she's like showing off a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. look at how sort of sophisticated I am that I am doing these things that you guys don't do. So I think both couples are showing off. Like, I think Mm -hmm. Cam and Daphne are doing this, like you said, beautiful people, almost like Gatsby-esque we're so untouched by everything and look mm-hmm. at how happy we are. And then I think Harper and Ethan are doing a sort of like, well, we're suffering with the realities of the world and you should also respect that. So both of them are doing a little bit of posturing here, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think all of them are unpleasant. You know, uh, I, I would agree with you. I'm not saying like I'm really rooting for Harper and Daphne. I mean, or – um. Harper, Harper and and Ethan. Uh, and Ethan. I'm not saying like they're awesome. They're certainly yeah. more similar to me in terms of how I engage with yes. my media, um, yes. but yes. they don't seem like particularly super pleasant people to be around either. Um, no. Especially Did if you're you have at any if,
1: thoughts on their uh, Ted Lasso argument. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, well. Hey. I'm just glad that people can unite around the Apple TV Plus show Ted Lasso. You know, like that. That gives them some kind of. Uh, I, I guess. I guess not really unite because it, I don't think um, Harper and Daphne watched it. Um, or uh, I think, Harper Harper, and Ethan, I watch think it.
1: Ethan watches it. Yeah. Harper doesn't like it. Yeah. And I think Cam and Daphne, if I remember correctly, are aware of it. But it stood out to me because I don't remember – like last season had Olivia and Paula making pop culture references. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the quote-unquote older, more established characters necessarily doing that. So it sort I'm of just- felt like
0: – I just think it's remarkable that an Apple TV Plus show got mentioned in another show. On an HBO Yeah, Yeah. an HBO show. Like, I think in general, Apple TV shows aren't really mentioned very often. I don't feel like – I'm not saying – putting aside the quality, Mm -hmm. I don't think they've really seeped into the popular consciousness that much. uh, Ted Lasso being an exception. So I was like, oh, hey, Apple TV, the uh, Apple, the trillion dollar company is a little little pop culture engine that could look at you. Look at you guys putting some putting some wins on the board there for Ted Lasso. You know
1: what I will say about that is that for all mankind is an exceptional show that you should be watching this whole time. Um, but it was funny to me because it felt like they were reaching the bottom of the barrel of things they could talk about, <laughs> so mm-hmm. they had to just pull out Ted Lasso <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a last-ditch objective to find common ground. Yeah. It could have been hacks if they were going to keep it in the HBO family. It could, could have been. been hacks.
0: Could have been. Um, it's 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 the modern-day equivalent of pulling out a Friends reference at a uh, yes.
1: Did you guys see dinner. that episode? It, yeah. <laughs> it's the modern-day equivalent of we Ross and Rachel on a break. Like everybody mm-hmm. has an opinion on it. So yeah. just talk about it. You don't have to talk about yourselves anymore. But yeah, yeah, so then this scene leads into the next sort of Cam provocation, right?
0: Right. So they go into uh, their rooms to get a uh, – uh, Cam needs to borrow a bathing suit from Ethan because he didn't bring one. Which, and- come on.
1: Well, no. Isn't it that yeah. his luggage got lost?
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His luggage got lost. Um, yeah. and, and apparently it might never be found because he should have flown through Milan, don't you know? Yeah. Um, huge mistake. Val- I, you know, Who I make that Valentina. mistake all the time, my personally, so I understand yeah. why this could happen to him.
1: We'll get to Valentina, but she's hilarious in this episode.
0: I agree. So then they go into the room and mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect. Like uh, I mm-hmm. I half expected like they would close the door and then start making out furiously like they've been having an affair the whole time. But that is not <laughs> what happened. No. Uh, it, it, things are what they seem with these couples. And mm-hmm. instead uh, she gives him the bathing suit. She goes into the bathroom to find her sunscreen. And then he takes off his bathing suit or all of his clothes entirely to put on the bathing suit.
1: Well and he walks into her line her of eye sight. Line, yeah. Yeah. Cuz he like could have he could have go-
0: gone away, right? He could have walked yeah, away before Yeah. Before he, did
1: he that. had been in the bureau, he could have gone through the door joining the suites back into his suite to change, but instead he purposefully walks into her eyeline when she's looking in the bathroom mirror. All of a sudden it's just out. Like he doesn't say anything, but it's yeah. out.
0: I saw a movie called Speak No Evil, Roxana Haddadi. Have mm-hmm. you seen Speak No Evil?
1: I think it sounds familiar, but go it,
0: on. It premiered at Sundance this year. It's currently on shutter. Okay. And, uh, there is a lot of bathroom etiquette that is challenged in this movie. So basically, like, okay. uh, imagine this. So, so the idea of Speak No Evil is there's this family, husband, wife, and a kid. They're invited out to go on this trip with another husband, wife, and kid, right? Okay. Mom's brushing her teeth in the visitor family. Mom's brushing her teeth in the bathroom. The dad uh, in the other family comes in while she's doing that. Uses the bathroom. Pees. No, no. <laughs> leaves. Absolutely not.
1: It's horrible. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And but, but that is
1: very similar, right? It's like you don't like Harper and Cam do not know each other well enough for this to happen. <laughs> But, again, it feels it feels like an example of how untouchable he feels, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Like, who cares? And it also, I think, speaks to probably his narcissism as well because I think he probably thinks, wouldn't you want to see it?
0: <laughs> it's definitely a troubling feeling because it, yeah. when someone does something like that, it feels like, oh – the boundaries that I assume everyone has, this person does not have, right? And yeah. that is a very kind of disquieting feeling. So yeah. she excuses herself. She's like, Hey, I still got to look for the sunscreen. You can go back and, you know, then later she tells Ethan about, uh, this incursion, but it does, it's, it's, it's the thing is it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, I think the way it was done is pretty aggressive, like not, it's not optimal right what what Cameron did but there is a tiny part i think that's also like you could be like oh maybe um maybe he just has different customs when it comes to uh sure. putting on your bathing suit you know he doesn't he's very okay with nudity there's people who are like that mhm but it's probably it's probably sketchy it was sketchy in uh, like he the way he did it was so sketchy i don't even think i would use that excuse it's so yeah it's kind of beyond the pale what he did. So, well, anyway. And
1: it's funny what you said because that's sort of how Ethan reads it, right? Like, Harper yeah. tells him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She sort of tries to downplay it a little bit. Like, she just says this was sort of a weird thing that happened. And Ethan is like, oh, yeah. Like, it's just, that's weird. You know, like, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. react really. And I, what I couldn't figure out about that moment is if, we're just doing like a bro code thing. Mm -hmm. Like Ethan has sort of reverted into who he was when he and Cam were college roommates. And so he's just trying to not get involved or if we're meant to see this as the beginning of sort of a schism between this married couple and how they don't necessarily seem eye to eye on things. So yeah, it was an interesting moment that I'm curious if it, spins into something darker deeper i i can't tell
0: yeah i I think the point i was trying to make somewhat poorly was that there's kind of enough ambiguity in cam's actions that it it's the kind of action that's not immediately outrageous to anyone who's hearing what happened right? right and so it's right on that borderline of this is troubling but like uh, if you get angry about it, you look a little bit weird, not like completely, yeah. but like it could, you could be made out to look weird. I'm not saying I condone this. I just want to be clear. No, like no, I'm not no. saying I, I think, think it was okay. No. Right. But I'm just saying, I, obviously as demonstrated in the episode, right? Like, yes. It's and I don't not, think you were yeah. saying that.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think, I think the ambiguity is there purposefully because yeah, we don't see his reaction to it. The yeah. perspective is very often with Harper in these conversations. Yeah. So we don't sort of get right like if he Mm -hmm. meant to do it we don't get his reaction he doesn't mention it to daphne although harper mentions it to, to ethan so i think there could be something like you said that like this is just who he is and it doesn't even bother him so why would he mention it to his wife he clearly doesn't think he did anything wrong yeah but it does feel like a line passed and it just gives harper more fuel to her surely these people who are so rich and oblivious can't really be happy. And so she becomes obsessed with this idea of, are they happy or not? And what does happiness mean? And if they're happy and we're not happy, does that mean there's something wrong with us? So I think there was already a little bit of insecurity there from Harper. And then this moment just exacerbates it.
0: Mm -hmm. It's fascinating because I think we're seeing two couples and I, I I believe you are in a couple right now. Is that correct, mm-hmm, Roxana? Mm-hmm. And I'm in a couple. Um, mm-hmm. And we're in on screen. We're seeing two couples that are really dysfunctional in different ways. Yeah. You know, in my in my perspective, like neither of these couples are aspirational. They both mm-hmm. have problems. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, you know, most people watching can probably identify more with one couple than the other. That's going to be my sure. guess. So. And I'm not going to ask which one is yours because I'm considerate. (laughs) I also think
1: that it's possible to relate to different issues in each of them, right? I mean, we do get a lot of scenes that are sort of public-facing where you see how they react when other people are around. And then we do get scenes where they're together intimately, like in their hotel suite, where they're a little bit different. So I I think – any reaction to any of these characters would be sort of valid because as much as I like Aubrey Plaza, she does a great job making Harper unlikable. Like there were times in this episode when I was like, Oh God, Ethan, like how do you (laughs) deal with these complaints? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think all of them are imperfect, flawed people in their own way so far.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Uh, only other thing to mention maybe is there is a kind of brief moment at dinner when Cam identifies the locals as hookers to Ethan and mm-hmm. jokes that Ethan was the original incel in college and um, is he different today or not, you know. And so it's a little hint of Ethan's character. Other than that, I think that's mostly what we'd have to talk about when it comes to uh, Harper, Ethan, Daphne, and Cameron. Anything else to say about that? Uh, those pair of storylines?
1: No, I think that sounds right. I mean, I think just that there's like already this sort of bullying reversion between the two men, and that feels like something to keep an eye on.
0: Indeed. All right, Roxana, it's time to talk about our sponsor for this episode of Decoding TV, McDonald's. Now, let me tell you about two words that come to mind when I think of the White Lotus. The customer service. Uh, Okay. Really just... Exceptional customer service uh, that puts a lot of care into making sure you feel taken care of. Let me tell you about another word that comes to mind when I think of the White Lotus. Risky. Mm-hmm. Risky. Mm. Risky to go to the White Lotus. But you know what's not risky, Roxana? Going to your local McDonald's because this is a place that has provided reliable pick-me-up delicious food since 1965, proudly serving their communities. Um, McDonald's is celebrating the crew members who help everyone feel a sense of community whenever they stop into Mickey D's. And I I don't know about you, but for me uh, going to McDonald's was a great ritual for me during the pandemic. Uh, Mm. It was one of the things that I relied upon that was going to be consistent and reproducible every single time. And every time I went there, I was always so, so grateful for all the crew members that made every single one of my McDonald's visits special. Uh, you you have a favorite McDonald's meal, Roxanna? Any, uh, any favorite McDonald's food for you? I do.
1: We've talked about this. It's the fish filet. Yes. Uh, I do not abide by being halal, but it is a halal option, which is, mm-hmm. you know, very important. Great. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, uh, two fish filets and like a large fry is generally where it's at.
0: Same. I'm uh I love the fish fillet. I'm also a big fan of the chicken McNuggets. It's kind oh, of my yeah. favorite go-to. Super mm-hmm. super delicious. And whenever I go uh to McDonald's to get this food, I'm always greeted with a smile and my food always comes fast and efficiently. I'm so grateful to my local McDonald's for all of their service to the community. Uh and a big thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Let's move on and talk about the Tanya-Greg-Portia oh plotline. Okay, it makes me so anxious. Like, just <laughs> incredibly
1: apprehensive
0: from the beginning. Tanya's in this episode. She mm-hmm. is married to Greg
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as
0: of this point, And she has her personal assistant with her, Portia, played by Haley Richardson. Uh, So these are the characters, Tanya and Greg are the characters from season one that are going to come back. As far as we know, there's no one else from season one coming back this season. Yeah. Um, But what happens with Tanya? Well, she arrives at the White Lotus. Uh, We learn that she is one of the most highly valued uh, guests at the hotel, right?
1: Yes. Isn't it the Blossom Circle? She's part of like their fancy membership program.
0: Yeah, she used to be like, a, I think, a pedal or something like that. Or that makes sense. Yeah, and then she's now awesome. in the inner circle.
1: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: And she is trying to find her husband, Greg. Greg has not been responding to her texts. Right. And when she finally meets him, he is stunned that Portia is there because he was hoping this would be a romantic getaway for the two of them. But right. she brought her personal assistant. Right. Um,
1: Which, what does Portia do? Nobody knows. <laughs> It's not really discussed.
0: Well, well, what we do know, Roxana, is she's providing uh, Tanya with emotional support of some kind. Correct. Tanya says to Portia, hey, I need you to stay in your room, but don't be far because I might need you. I might need you. Yes.
1: um, It's basically what, uh, you know, a version of what Belinda had offered. But Belinda was, like, trained, right? I mean, Belinda was an actual source of emotional support which is why that relationship was so screwed up and awful in season one with this it's like i don't really know what portia does i mean this is not to diminish portia portia's experience seems rough but i'm just curious what the job listing was and why portia responded to it uh and what their dynamic is like outside of sicily doesn't seem good seems pretty bad
0: I would agree. I mean, none of none of Tanya's dynamics are are particularly good. I mean, this no. is one of the things that I think any show like The White Lotus needs to struggle with, which is you have a character that's super quirky like Tanya, mm-hmm. um, and has generated a lot of laughs in season one. Like, I love Fan that character. favorite. I
1: mean, that's why yes. she's back.
0: And you're kind of trying to pivot her from this quirky character to someone who actually has gravitas. Uh, somebody who actually has an arc, um, who ha- we actually need to feel something for. And I do think it's a little bit tricky, you know? Another example of when this has happened is the show Hacks, uh, mm-hmm. that you mentioned earlier with uh, the Megan Stalter character. Mm-hmm. You know, the character who's like, mm-hmm. kind of like a hilarious character in season one. And then in season two, they kind of try to give her more of a, of a serious arc and like make you take that character more seriously. I feel like that's kind of what's happening with Tanya. And I am curious how people are going to react to it. But what is clear is that the relationship with her and Greg is not good. No. Um, that, you know, she tries to make a pass at Greg and it doesn't go super well and later on they have awkward sex and uh, greg doesn't get to finish and he uh, is it, like makes some very very upsetting comments about her weight and uh, mm-hmm. how much she's eating and are you familiar with the the gottman style of relationship management uh no Roxanna? well
1: no the only thing i wanted to add to that two things i wanted to
0: yes, add to that. Please, before, before i launch into, into that, a tangent
1: is that um I'm so intrigued by you describing Tanya's arc that way because I feel the exact opposite. I think her season one arc was very weighty and Mm. she's dealing with the death of her mother and like all of this wrapped up grief and passive aggression and all of this stuff. And so I felt like Coolidge's performance was quirky and odd and all of those things. But the arc itself I thought was very solid here. I feel like so far, she's sort of being played more for laughs, right? I mean, the weight stuff is very distressing, and we'll get into that. But she makes a face at Portia. Like, she makes all these demonic faces at Portia. We laugh at the amount of luggage that she brought. I think that there is something a little bit different happening with this character this season, and it feels more like they wanted to make her... A recognizable sort of villain because people responded to her sort of positively in season one aside from the belinda stuff i think there was a lot of empathy for her grief journey and now i think we're sort of digging into actually she's really terrible and she's Mm. really terrible to portia uh so i'm sort of curious how that plays out but i yeah it's funny that we have sort of oppositional reads on that and the last thing i'll say before you talk about this relationship thing (laughs) is
0: that she boring uh, anyway go ahead
1: yeah (laughs) she uh kicks off greg because the morris heads freak her out Mm -hmm. she gets like very afraid of these sculptures uh so she is sort of internalizing what the show and mike white are using them for which is to sort of cause this disquietude and this sense of being watched. So that sort of felt like a little bit of a reaffirming like meta sort of moment. But okay, what's this relationship management thing that I I I cut you off from describing?
0: I think you fairly call out that she does have a bit of an arc in season one. I guess I remember all of her, like, silly scenes, like, on the boat and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's, like, kind of what I remember. And I do think she was kind of villainous with Belinda, to be honest with you. Oh, like, she was. I, I, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. But I think So I feel a like I already got that burn. a taste of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think what you're saying is, like, it was more of a slow burn villainy in season one. And this season, we're already being hit with it right off the bat with yes, uh, we're how she treats. already being hit yeah. with...
1: Her telling her younger employee to stay locked in her room in case Tanya needs her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. Gottman style therapy or the Gottman method. So the Gottmans are a couple that are a legendary pair of uh, relationship slash marriage therapists, counselors. um, And they – uh, they're they're well-known for theoretically being able to predict with high-level accuracy within a very small number of minutes whether or not a couple is going to stay together or get divorced. Oh, okay. One of the biggest predictors of whether or not a couple will stay together or get divorced is the amount of contempt mm. in the relationship. How much contempt is there in the relationship? So whenever I'm watching – uh, a relationship on screen, whenever I'm contemplating my own relationship, I'm always keeping an eye on the contempt level. And I would say the contempt level is pretty high in the show. What do you think? Very high. Roxanna? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's like Kevin can F himself levels of high. It's mm. incredibly.
0: It's well, incredibly I'm specifically good. about Greg towards Tanya. Do you know what I mean? Oh,
1: yes. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. that's specifically what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Greg, yeah. this whole argument about the macarons, his comment about the panna cotta. I, I mean, again. Yeah,
0: just so. like casually cruel things. Yeah. You know, it's very. And some of these, yeah.
1: some of these relationships, uh, it's like, why are you two together? Like, I think this mm-hmm. season, it's really digging into that. Why are you two together? Yeah. Uh, and Tanya and Greg are already a confusing pairing because in the first season, he was charming and sort of patient and, uh, you know, like a little bit willing to vibe on her level. And they just seem completely at odds already. And he's being secretive, which, yikes.
0: If I may uh, project, you know, a, a guess wildly at what's going mm-hmm. on here, right? Is that, uh, you know, in general, he obviously, Tanya's very successful or at least wealthy woman, but mm-hmm. also has all these like fun quirks. He's a beautiful person as well, you know, like, and so he probably was enticed by those things. But then like... After a while, it's like, oh, wow, the quirks are starting to wear thin, and living with someone and spending all your time with them is a lot different than going on a vacation getaway with them. Right. And those things have probably worn him down. It's, that's kind of the little backstory I invented for Greg while mm-hmm. watching this episode. Um, but anyway, yes, as you indicated later on, there is a scene where Greg is in the bathroom on the phone. He has a decent excuse about how he's probably working on business stuff, but um, – and if he is in fact working on business stuff, then I think he actually behaved somewhat reasonably with Tanya. He shouldn't, sla- yeah. shouldn't have slammed the door in her face, but like, you know, he had stuff he had to do. Um, and Tanya was being weird uh, in his estimation. I mean, she obviously was just responding to uh, some hurtful things that he said earlier, you know, about the macarons. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it seems like it's the relationship's in a really bad place, and it's sad to see. So,
1: yeah. The only yeah. thing I will say, the only devil's advocate poke I will make at that is he was so offended that Portia was there on the vacation, and the reasoning he gave was it's a romantic vacation for the two of us. So I'm just slightly surprised that he would be taking business calls Mm -hmm. on a romantic vacation when he was so uh, belligerent about Portia's presence. But ultimately, I mean, I have a lot of problems with Tanya, but uh, watching her walk to bed alone was very sad.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's talk briefly about Portia's storyline this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she encounters Albie at the pool. She's crying mm-hmm. on the phone, um, and it's driving. clear, yeah, and it's clear that like she comes from a very different background than most of the people who are at this place. Um, right. And then she shows up at dinner, and that causes a lot of consternation with Tanya, uh, and that's like most of her arc this episode is like she she's we get the sense that she's questioning whether or not she should be tanya's personal assistant that's kind of right. the big takeaway right. anything else to say about Portia before we move on
1: the only thing i'll say is that she looks up albie on instagram right mm, so yeah, her right. i think it's her sister that she's talking to on the phone mm-hmm. her sister is like this sounds like a nightmare just hook up with a guy like at least make the time pass mm-hmm. uh, and then she looks up albie on insta so i think there is an initial clearly they're maybe into each other or trying yeah. to judge whether they want to be into each other um but that is a a good compliment to the albie story which is so much about uh like male female attraction and again these questions about like monogamy and infidelity and all that sort of stuff
0: yeah so let's talk about the storyline of the three, the father, son, and the grandfather, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bert played by F. Murray Abraham, Dominic played by Michael Imperioli, and Albie, played by Adam DeMarco. They are there on some kind of pilgrimage to visit Bert's grandmother's uh birth town, birth city? Yeah, I think, like right? her
1: village or something. So yeah. it's clearly a family trip that was planned for a while. Uh, And it is revealed later in the episode that it wasn't just supposed to be them. There were supposed to be women from this family on the trip as well.
0: Dominic's wife and daughter, I think, right? Yes. And we get
1: some explanations or at least some allusions as to why that is not the case. Um,
0: I mean, that was one of my favorite scenes from the episode, right? Is Michael Imperiale's character Dominic making a phone call to, I think, his ex-wife, right? Mm Mm-hmm soon to
1: be ex-wife maybe yeah
0: and the whole thing takes place in one long continuous shot that kind of pushes in on dominic's face Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and what i love about that scene is how rapidly it escalates like he calls and she's like hey you know what do you want and it seems like it's gonna be a tense but acceptable phone call and it ends with her just screaming at him yeah. and being like I don't want to talk to you ever again don't call me ever again and it's some great phone phone acting from Michael Imperioli, I think because he's just kind of like shell-shocked exhausted like he's expended a lot of mental energy but he's also like i think he knows that he probably did some terrible things like my my interpretation is that he he's like cheated on his wife or something like that mm-hmm. right i think that's heavily yeah. implied that's The read um, i got yeah so i really love that scene it's, it's just a great phone call scene that takes place in a long continuous shot that just is is a great piece of acting on both sides of that mm-hmm. call I thought um but yeah any any thoughts on on Dominic's character and and this scene in particular
1: I really like imperially I mean I I think this storyline might be the one that I like the most so mm-hmm. far because I think it's asking some sort of interesting questions about uh what kind of behavior gets normalized to us by our parents and then how do those things sort of trickle down early on it becomes very clear that albie and dominic are sort of embarrassed by bert who is like hitting on every woman available farting just like sort of being (laughs) like a typical like older man um but in dominic you sort of see the behaviors that he doesn't like in bert are still things that he's doing himself and i think that phone call is really indicative of that he doesn't Mm -hmm. try to deny anything right when his ex-wife is sort of yelling at him uh but I don't, I don't really know if I buy his apology either. There's sort of a detached quality to Imperiali's performance that I think feels like a wall put up between what he said and or did and the actual ramifications of that. So I was really, I, I think that was a really solid scene. And, uh, I just, you know, it's the only storyline so far. That I think is sort of dealing with the past and looking at your past actions and trying to reconcile who you were when you made those choices. And I'm so I I am intrigued by that. I don't know if the White Lotus has necessarily done that yet, sort of had Mm -hmm. like a long lens on prior behavior. So I like the three of them together. And I yeah, I want to know where it goes.
0: Yeah, we do learn that Dominic is like a big deal in Hollywood theoretically. Yeah. I am. I'm curious if it's going to turn out to be some kind of Me Too storyline of some kind. You know, that's that's a possibility as well. That's
1: interesting. I um, hadn't thought about that.
0: So yeah, I don't. I don't know where it's going, but um, it does seem like he, he's going to try to reckon with his past somehow in this season. And I think I think you're right about that. So, uh, and yeah. Bert played by F. Murray Abraham, hitting on everyone. it's it's uncomfortable to watch. It's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to watch. And I'm glad that Dominic and Albi like call him out for it. Uh, it. they are kind of audience surrogates in that situation to a point until the final scene yeah. of the episode, at least, you know to a
1: point. I mean, then you also have Albi talking about it being undignified for people over fifty to have sex. And It's like Albi <laughs> spoken like a true like twenty two year old
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's,
1: it's a good, it's a good generational sprawl.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know,
1: we talked about how Harper and Ethan and all of them are sort of the same age. We haven't gotten to the Italian locals yet. They seem younger. Yeah. But this, I think, is the biggest age gap and sort of how different generations do view things the same way or maybe, maybe they don't.
0: Yeah. Anything else about the Bert Dominic Albie storyline? I think you already talked about how Albie and Portia might get together this season. That's a possibility. We'll see. Um, I think
1: that's it for now. I think that's all we're sort of privy to at this point.
0: So then there is the locals, Mia and Lucia. I I was impressed that that so much of a show was in Italian, by the way. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just like that they felt – they stayed, like, fairly authentic to the location, you know, which I I always appreciate when a show does that. Yeah. Um, But the idea is that Mia and Lucia are friends – Mia is somebody who I guess is trying to um what 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 is the I don't even know what the verb is, but like she she has connected with someone on the boat um, no, I think who who wants Lucia. her services. Oh Lucia yeah, has connected Lucia with is someone the on the boat um yes. who wants her who like wants she's to pay for worker. her services. Yes, yeah, she's a sex yeah. worker. Yeah. And uh, and like the whole uh, the whole episode we're like wondering who it is by the end, I was like it's it's probably there's only one person it could probably be, you know, which is Dominic we find out mm-hmm. um there's also a scene in in you know there's some scenes in the middle where they're like chased out of the white lotus by Valentina, who is the manager there um and then they go to dinner um there's a brief scene with uh Mia and the piano player who uh. They have a drink, and he assumes that she's a prostitute, but she's not. She's very offended by it, throws a drink in his face. Um, And then at the end, uh, Lucia and Dominic, uh, we presume, have sex as the show goes to credits. Mm -hmm. So thoughts about this story? I was, like, trying to figure out what was going on with the storyline the entire time I was watching. I was like, where is this going? And honestly, I've finished the episode and I still don't really know where it's going. Um Yeah.
1: I'm I'm very mixed on this one. Like mm-hmm. I'm incredibly mixed. So as we <laughs> talked about with season one, yeah. there was sort of the critical pushback that Mike White had set a story in Hawaii and was sort of telling the story about colonialism and capitalism and all of this stuff, and didn't really have a Hawaiian perspective. And so I think this is an attempt to remedy that or at least to show like, hey, I heard the criticism and I'm sort of taking it to heart. I I don't know how I feel about the, the remedy to that being two young Italian women who are – doing sex work with American tourists. I don't, I don't know. Well,
0: one of them is at least
1: one of them is, but Lucia sort of is trying to bring her into it. Right. She does say we could have a threesome with him and it would be a good payday for us. She does dress her up in the bathroom and Mia says, you made me look like a hooker. And Lucia says, exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think there is sort of a, I'm making money doing this and you could also be making money doing this sort of invitation. I don't, I don't know where it's going. I think.
0: I, I think what's weird to me, Roxana, is mm-hmm. the final scene, you know, between the two of them. I, I think we are meant to be troubled by that scene, right? Like the way are the we? scene. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't, this is the thing. I don't even know. Like, yeah. but I, I think we're meant to be like, oh, like this is like Dominic has. Is at this stage in his life where he feels like he needs to pay for sex. This is not something that he would feel as a good example for his child who's theoretically sleeping in the next room. You know, yeah, I like. I mean,
1: he lies to Albie. Yeah.
0: Right. And then there is, um, you know, the, the way the camera like pulls back with these curtains and the way it makes it feel kind of like forbidden. It gives this, this, these events a kind of frisson, I think that like make it feel like, ooh, like, you know, it's kind of, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just kind of makes it feel like the show, to me, makes it – to like, you want to feel like it's um, not okay what's happening here, which feels weird to me because I would think that this is not the type of show that would um, look, look askance at sex workers. You know what I'm saying? It feels like,
1: weirdly conservative. Yeah. It feels like a weirdly conservative <laughs> perspective. For, for now, let's,
0: I mean, I'm willing to see how it evolves, but like sure. for now, yeah, I'm like, I, too. I don't know what this is right now, you know,
1: but yeah. I don't know what this is. Yeah. And I think that so far, sort of the only things that we know about them, about Lucia and Mia are how they're perceived by men and how they're perceived by Valentina, who is very anti their presence at the hotel. So yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. It sort of feels to me, it gives me the same feeling as The Moore's Head, where I feel like I think the show is trying to make these points about gender roles and maybe heterosexuality and what is sort of transactional about relationships between women and men. But I don't know how much that feels like a wealthy people in 2022 storyline. Like, I I guess I, I, I just would be surprised by people being surprised about the presence of sex workers so i just i don't know where right it's going
0: hard to you know i'm like does the show want us to think it's not okay does the show want us to think right because uh, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like the show wants us to think look at these two people transacting on sex the way a man and a woman should like i don't yeah i don't feel like that's what the show wants us to feel about this scene, yeah right um but I will big. I'll put a big TBD on uh, my thoughts on this plot line because there's just not enough there for me to really understand where they're going with it. So, hopefully, they'll coalesce. The yeah. Yeah, well, go and that's sort
1: of the same way I feel about Valentina. Like, yeah. I think at this point in season one, Armand had a very clear enemy in Shane. And yes. so, we started with this competition already between the White Lotus staff and the guests. And I think because we're not doing class as much at the forefront this time around, mm-hmm. Valentina hasn't already – like, she doesn't have any beef with the guests yet, right? Like, she she is very brusque and she's very frank. She calls Bert old to his face and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know – her storyline is more against Lucia and Mia so far than it's against anybody else. So that's another one where I'm like, I'm not sure – what I'm supposed to know or feel about this character yet, and sort of how we're telling the story about Italian women. I just don't know.
0: That struck me as more of a cultural thing, to be honest with you, than mm-hmm. um, than like part of her personality. It, okay. it, 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 it struck me that I, I think what the show is trying to say with that part about Valentina. So we're talking about the scene early on when Valentina is basically he spends most of the episode giving everyone at the White Lotus a difficult time like yeah. she's like you're not doing good good enough job you're bad at your job and then we find when she greets the guests like she's actually terrible at this because she like steps in all these terrible social faux pas and i thought it was a commentary on how difficult it is to fully know another culture that's what i thought it was okay. i don't I, I don't know you know just this idea that like oh you can be like theoretically super high powered um manager who like is very good at customer service but like if you don't know what's acceptable in another culture like it doesn't really mean that much that was kind of my thought Mm -hmm. on what it meant
1: none of that crossed my mind so that's okay uh, i appreciate that
0: okay (laughs) well well maybe uh who knows if it was intentional or not so anyway anyway (laughs) any other thoughts on season two episode one of the white lotus
1: i don't think so i think we covered pretty much everything
0: trying to think if there's any other like really standout scenes i mean uh love the dominic was really yeah the phone call scene was great i actually like the final scene with dominic and um and lucia like like i said there was there was kind of this like feeling of like danger and unpredictability there i thought um Mm -hmm. that that gave this scene uh, an interesting energy i thought the the characters of uh harper Ethan, Daphne, and Cameron were like really well drawn. Like you kind of, you kind of feel like you know who these people are that they've lived a whole life before you saw them on screen during this episode. Mm-hmm. And so um, many things to like about the episode. I'm intrigued, and um, there's going to be seven episodes this season, unlike six from last season. So
1: right, uh, that, that
0: I'm curious about too. I'm like, why you know, like um, there's some. I think there's some science or uh, inf- anecdotal studies that show that like when there's a, a listicle of some kind online that people prefer it, if it has a prime number, you know, like, interesting. Um, like here are the 13 most, like the 13 best scenes from the Sopranos or mm-hmm. here are the seven top ways you can decorate your pumpkin for Halloween or whatever, you know, like prime numbers make people feel good. Um, mm. because it feels like, there's many reasons, but one of them is maybe it feels like you kept looking for ways to decorate your pumpkin that were good, and then you stopped after you got the maximum number of ways. Like you didn't arbitrarily go to 10. You were just like, <laughs> there's only seven. <laughs> and that's how I feel about the fact that the White Lotus season two has seven episodes. You yeah. know, it's not, like.
1: Not 10, not
0: eight. Not 10, not six, not eight. It's like. Seven. They, they said the seven episodes is the number they need to tell this story, and I trust Roxana. I trust. Yeah. Okay um roxana adati where can people find more of your work on the internet this week
1: sure you can find my work at vulture you can find me on twitter and you know that's about it
0: all right we'll leave links to roxana's work in the show notes and you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com you can email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on tiktok twitter and youtube at decoding tv Until next week, we'll be back then with another recap of The White Lotus. Next week, it'll be season uh, two, episode two. Thanks for listening or watching. We'll see you later.
1: Bye.